This morning we're on our fourth Advent sermon and message, and I've entitled it today, The Great Peace of Christmas. So we have three candles lit already for the last three weeks that we have been in our study as we approach Christmas, which is next Sunday, and we will have a service, by the way, at 11 o'clock. There will be no Sunday school or anything else, just the service, Christmas service at 11 o'clock. I hope that you can make it out for that. But uh, we have looked at, in our first Advent, we looked at uh, God being with us, Emmanuel. The second Advent was that he, the great miracle of Christmas, or the, the virgin birth of Christmas. Last week, we looked at, now I'm forgetting my points from the, what was last week? Anybody remember? The great what? The great Christmas king. And today is the great peace of Christmas. And so we look at these and we remember Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 9. And in Isaiah chapter 9, we are focusing on verses 6 and 7. So you want to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. And in these verses, we find something amazing. Now, in the last song that the choir sang, not the choir, the, um, our worship team sang, it was, uh, come and adore him, come and adore the name of the great king, or I forget exactly how it put it. But we look at the scripture and we find a number of names that are attributed to God and a number of names that are attributed to Christ. These names, these are important uh, recollections or identifications of the one who is being talked about. And so in this case, we're talking about this child, Jesus, who comes to be born. And he has the name, Emmanuel. We've already seen that. But as we look at Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, there are four names that are used to identify who this child is going to be, who he was, who he is, who he will be. These four names identify Jesus, and they identify Jesus, this child who was born, in such an astounding way that if we truly consider the impact of this, it is life-changing. And it is meant to be life-changing. God has come into the world. He had come back there. He had prophesied back in the time of Isaiah about this child who was going to come. He is going to be the king. He is going to have the government upon his shoulder, bearing the weight and the responsibility of that. And ultimately, the weight that he carries on his shoulder is the weight of the sins of the world. And so he bears that for us. He went to the cross, and on the cross, he took our sins upon him. And this is an, a, a real important concept to understand, especially when we think about Jesus during this time of the year. Uh, you know, we have our Christmas trees, and we have the lights, and we have all of the decorations, and we have our Advent candles, and we talk about different aspects of who Jesus was, and that's all well and good, and we need to know those things. But at the end of the day... The question is, do I have a personal relationship with him? Have I come to him and received the forgiveness of sins? Has he moved in my heart? Has he brought salvation to this life? It's not about, it's not about our grandma or our grandpa who were strong Christians and they prayed for us every day. It's not about them. It's not about our neighbors who might be Christians. It's not about who we know. It is not about what church we go to. It is not about what denomination we're a part of. It is all about this. Do you know Jesus? 
That's the most important thing. And all of these things that we talk about, God has revealed them to us in order to show how Christ is impactful in every sphere of life. And why that's important is this, because no matter where we turn in life, no matter where we are, who we are, what part of the world we live in, no matter where we go, no matter what we do, everywhere we turn, God has been so involved and impactful in the world that no matter where we turn, we will see something that points us to Him. And that, given that truth then, we have every opportunity available to us to come to the one who made us. And that's the most important thing. And so this is the question we need to ask ourselves as we consider these names of Jesus this morning. Do I know Jesus? Is he a part of my life? Has he forgiven me of my sins? And that's my exhortation to all of us this morning. In this passage, let me read the verses. There are four names of this child, this son that was to be born. It says in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. What a great passage of scripture. And that brings us to the first name by which this child, this son that is born is called. And the first name is this, the Wonderful Counselor. He is the Wonderful Counselor. Now, it is a little bit unfortunate, the way that it translates it here in our version, where it uses the word Wonderful Counselor. Because when we use the word Wonderful, we, we think of, I think, um, that, uh, oh, how nice, uh, what a wonderful gift that is. You know, we, we just kind of think of the word wonderful in those terms. Oh, how cute. You know, wonderful. That's wonderful. That's good news. We, we kind of think of it in those terms. However, the word is not meant to convey that as much as it is meant to convey full of wonder. He is the counselor full of wonder. It's the sense of amazement. It is the sense of jaw-dropping astonishment. This word wonderful, the full of wonder, is used to, uh, is translated as full of wonders or full of miracles. He is the miracle counselor, if you will. The counselor of wonder. So we see the same word used, for example, in Psalm 89.5. And the heavens will praise your wonders. So you see how it's used there? It is meant to convey the miraculous signs, the multitude of great things that he has done, his wonders. The heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness also in the assembly of the saints. And that's us, by the way. We are here joining our voices as part of the praise of the wonders of our God, for he has done wonderful things in our lives. Amen. Not only that, but this, this term is used even before this passage in Isaiah to refer to deity or the God, 
ness of the person. So, for example, in Judges chapter 13, verse 18, the angel of the Lord appears. And in, uh, he is asked in this passage, says, the angel of the Lord said to him, he had asked him his name, why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful or full of wonder? And the point that I'm trying to make is that there's a close connection between this word wonderful or full of wonder and the Godhead or the, that, you know, he is God. So this angel that appeared, this angel of the Lord was God. This child that was born is God. And when we look at Jesus, we see that it is God, in fact, God with us. So he is the wonderful God. He is the wonderful counselor. And so when, we're, when we approach this child, it's not just this cute little baby born in the manger, but it is the wonderful God himself who has come to be with us. God with us. So we look at him and we see his greatness, or we ought to see his greatness. And this greatness of, of his, this fact that he is the wonderful counselor is meant to be an encouragement to us. We are to hear that this baby is the wonderful counselor and we are to be greatly encouraged that finally God has heard my prayers and finally he has done something about it and finally he has come to answer me and to deliver me of all the things that I have cried out. So this is the hope that we have. And this is the exhortation that I give to all of us. Let us look to Jesus as we worship him and remember him during this Christmas season. And let us be encouraged that God has visited us and that God is here involved in our lives to make a difference. To make a difference. The second word in this little group, the wonderful counselor. And this is important as well, because, uh, you know, there's, honestly, there's a lot of, about this life that is, uh, you know, a question. Uh, we wonder, why God? Why are you doing this? Why have you allowed that? Why, why is this going on? Why don't you hear my prayers a little bit more directly, right? If I, if I ask, uh, Lord, make it rain, I want to see rain, right? That, that's kind of how we go about with our prayers. That's kind of, a, I ask for it, and I want to see it right away. That's, you know, I want it my way and I want it right now. That's kind of the mentality that we often approach God. But at the same time, when we're in the midst of trouble and there's a desperation that we have, yes, we go to Him and that's the right thing to do. And we cry out to Him and that's the right thing to do. And we want to see Him do something to deliver us, to alleviate the pressure and the trouble that I'm in. And that's the right thing to expect from God. And so we come to Him and we look to Him and one of the things that he does for us is he provides understanding and wisdom and counsel. So we might look at our situation and say, I don't understand, Lord. Well, he is the one who has all understanding. He is the one who knows the beginning from the end. He is the one who is involved in everything. He is the sovereign Lord of all creation. And so we want to look to him for this revelation of understanding. In Psalm chapter I already looked at that, but let's look at another one here. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2. Now, this is still in Isaiah. He says, the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And now notice what it says here. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and might. The Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. 
This is the Spirit of the Lord. The one who rules and reigns in this life should understand all that is going on. And if he is the one that understands all that is going on, then when we need that help, we should go towards him. Speaking of Jesus in Colossians chapter 2, verse 3, it says, In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, you know, um, we go around and we take counsel from... Uh, all over, right? You know, we go to the doctor for counsel about our health, and we go to the counselor for counsel concerning our feelings and our thinking, and, and uh, whatever it is that we know, we go to someone who's an expert in that field in order to obtain the understanding and the knowledge that we need. And the internet is a great place, right? You know, it's a great place to get knowledge and uh, to get insight and and so if I have a car repair that I have to make, I can go to the internet and figure out, you know, I can look at my car and look up the part and I can see someone who is making that repair. And I see, I can look at it and say, yeah, I can do that. And, uh, and so I try it. Uh, it's funny, I was, I was, uh, I was uh, changing, I think it was a water pump years ago in one of our vans that we had. So I was doing it pretty successfully, and I managed to get the water pump out, but there was a f- another piece. I think it was the fan that was hooked on the front. No matter how hard I tried, I could not get that fan off of the water pump. So here I go. I, I'm carrying my water pump and this, this assembly together, and I go to the local car garage, and uh, I, uh, I said, can you help me with this? I cannot separate these things. And they started making fun of me. Look at me. Look at him. The shade tree mechanic. That's what they kept calling me. The shade tree mechanic. Meaning, you know, I'm like the one who parks his car under the tree and does the repair himself. And that's what I was doing. And I could not do that part. They were nice enough to help me. They, you know, had a special, uh, you know, they kind of laughed what I was trying to do. Thinking, well, you know, if I didn't have the right tool, there was no way I was ever going to get these two parts separated. So they were nice enough to help me, but the, the big joke was I was the shade tree mechanic. And uh, anyway, you know, that's what we do. We, we seek counsel from all of those that are around us. But the Bible warns us not to walk in the counsel of the ungodly. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with seeking the counsel of those who are expert in this world and they know things. Uh, I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. I don't think there's anything wrong with going to the doctor necessarily or anything wrong with getting counsel about the things that we are going through. However, the one thing that we need to do is to go first and foremost to the Lord. We have to run first to Him because it is only by His grace that He allows those wise people in this world to be successful in their diagnosis of us. And just because we go to the doctor and they're supposed to know everything doesn't mean that we're going to find the answers and the help that we need. Our help comes from the Lord. And so we're encouraged in Scripture to do this. Hey, Ron, I might need your help back there if you're, if you're uh, over there. All right, so I have 2 Timothy chapter 2. I have the Isaiah one just before this, I think. Do you see it there? Okay. Is it coming up? There it is, Isaiah chapter 28, 29. says, this also comes from the Lord of hosts, who is wonderful, there's our word again, amazing, in counsel and excellent in guidance. So you see the, how wonderful parallels excellent there, and that kind of conveys the meaning 
of the, the word here. He is a, the one who gives counsel. He is the one who gives guidance. And his counsel and guidance is wonderful. It is excellent. So why would we not go to him first? Let us go to him first. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 7, it says, Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. There is a certain sense in which we as Christians can go to the Lord and, and obtain the wisdom and the counsel that we need. As a matter of fact, in James chapter 1, there is a promise about this. So if we go to James chapter 1, verse 5, and here's the promise, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally or generously and without reproach, and it will be given him. What a great promise that is for us. Now, um, I don't know what he'll reveal to us. He might not reveal everything to us. But if we are lacking in understanding, the place to go is to the Lord. He is the wonderful counselor. This is who this child was. He has the answers that we need for this life. There is nowhere else that we have to go. So we go first to him. And then by the grace of God, we can get other uh, understanding from those that are around us. And so let us be encouraged this morning. We don't understand everything. We don't know why everything happens or why we have to go through, th through certain things. We don't know or have all the answers all the time. But He does. He knows all about it. And we can go to Him and seek Him first. He will guide us. He will give us wisdom and the understanding that we need. He is the wonderful Counselor. The second name that is used in this passage is the Mighty God. The Mighty God. Now, I tell you what, if you're looking for a verse that talks about the deity of Jesus, here it is. The Son, this child that is born, is the Mighty God. There it is. I wish it was, uh, a, a lot of people say, I wish it was a lot clearer. And yeah, I wish it was a lot clearer, you know, in the rest of Scripture. But there are these passages like this that clearly identify Jesus as the mighty, almighty God. He is God. We're not talking about a great prophet. We're not talking about just a good person. We're not talking about a moral teacher. We are talking about God himself. And this is a stumbling block. And it has been a stumbling block throughout history. But this is it. This is what it said about the child, that he would be the mighty God. And so this points to the genuine affirmation. This is a genuine affirmation of the deity of Jesus. He is the Son, the incarnate Christ, the hoped-for Messiah, the baby born in the manger, but He is Almighty God. Praise be to Him. Now the word mighty here is actually a term of warfare. It can be translated as hero. So here is the hero God who has come to do battle and to prevail. He is the mighty God. He is the one who does battle. He is the one who overcomes. And there is coming a day. Now, you know, we're in the process of this unfolding. There is coming a day when Jesus will return. And when he returns, he won't return as a baby in a manger like he came the last time. When he returns, he will be riding his white horse with the armies behind him. And he will go forth and conquer those upon the earth who resist him. In Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, it says, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. So he is the hero God who will come to make war against, ultimately, sin and death. 
Now, I believe that the return of Jesus is something more than a spiritual rule in this world, which he rules now. And of course, he is a sovereign over everything. But there are forces of evil and sin and death that still have free reign upon this earth. That's just how it is right now. We're in this process that is unfolding. And even us as Christians, we taste death, save for the Lord's return. But a day is coming when not only his spiritual presence will rule over the earth, but also his physical presence will rule over the earth. And the last enemy, death, will be destroyed. And he will sit on the throne of David forever. Because he is our hero, God. He is the mighty God. And we can look forward to this. And so what does this mean for me now? Well, it means right now we're still in battle, you and I, with a real enemy in this world. There's the devil, and he's out there, and he's causing trouble for you, and he's causing trouble for me, and he's, he's uh, doing all kinds of things to separate us from God and to cause us to doubt God, and he's attacking us, and he's just uh, causing all this trouble. But since we serve the mighty God, we don't, need just to, we don't need to just sit down and resign ourselves to this. He is an enemy who is attacking us, and we are with the king. And so let us stand up in the name of Jesus. And let us proclaim the truth of the gospel in this world for the saving of souls and for the delivering from bondage. Let our faith increase. Let, now listen, let our faith increase, because we're trusting in Jesus, amen, right? So let our faith be increased. Let our peace and joy and strength be in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us be full of these things, for he has come to give us peace and joy. And so let us be full of peace and joy and strength in Jesus. And let us bear testimony of the greatest gift that we have received, new life in Jesus Christ. Let us give testimony to that. And so let nothing drain our faith or our peace or our joy or our strength. Let it not be drained from us, O Christian, this morning, for we serve the mighty God. Now our next point here is that he is the everlasting Father. This is the third name. And I tell you what, this is, of all the four names, this is the most perplexing. For the Son is called the Father, the everlasting Father, here in this passage. And I don't exactly understand how this can be. Um, to me, what stands out the most is the unity of the Godhead. How many gods do we have? One. One God in three persons. Anthony, you know, we, all this time, you know, you still say we have three gods. All right, I'm just, I'm just giving Anthony a hard time here, but I, I know he knows the, the answer. But there is one God, one God, and I think this passage just kind of brings it out. There isn't the Father and the Son who are two separate beings from one another. We are talking about one God. And this child is God himself. That's what we've been learning, right, in these prophecies. This, the boy, the child, will be born, and his name is called what? God with us. This is God who has come to us. And so we find this designation of the boy child as the everlasting father. Now, if you look up the commentaries, and I, I think this is, gonna, this is partly true as well, is that he is the son, 
And as the king, he shepherds his people and cares for them as a father would his children. And so this is kind of the most common uh, response or thing that you'll read about. And, I'm, and I, like I said, think that there, this is true and this is kind of where I'm going to focus on because this is where it becomes important to us. He is, he is the father. He is the son. He is the God who will take care of us. So if you look in verse 7, You'll see the part of uh, that he is the eternal part here, the eternal father. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So he is the eternal father, and that's why he gives us the eternal life that we have. In Luke chapter 1, verse 3, Luke chapter 1, verse 3, if you could, there we go. It says, and he will reign over that. This is, a, this is a, a birth narrative in the gospel of Luke. So it's talking about the birth of Jesus. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom, there will be no end. So what is the purpose of this? this the purpose of this is to affirm that Jesus has come to be our father, to be our shepherd, to take care of our needs. I'd like for us to turn to John chapter 10 real quick. Keep your place here in Isaiah. But in John chapter 10, Jesus goes into this extended passage talking about how he cares for the sheep. And so listen to what he says here. This is John chapter 10, verse 7. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief doesn't come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they might have life and that they might, may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, and them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be no, there will be one flock. Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. Now in this passage it talks about him being the good shepherd, and the main quality that stands out as our good shepherd, is that he lays down, he lays down his life for us. He lays down his life for the sheep. And this is what Jesus has done. He came, he laid down his life as the good shepherd for the sheep, that we might have the forgiveness of sins. And if he lays down his life for us, if he is willing to lay down our lives for us, that we might have the forgiveness of sins, what else is he going to withhold from us because we are his sheep? Nothing. He will take care of us in everything. We receive the greatest and fullest care from Jesus. There is no one else that we need. There is nothing else that we need. Let us turn to Jesus and turn our life over to him. 
We have no hope outside of Jesus Christ. And that brings us to our last point. That he is the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. So, he will rule and he will reign and he will bring peace to this world. We don't see it yet, but we eagerly anticipate the coming of the Prince of Peace. And yet, at the same time, his birth marks the coming of peace to your heart and to my heart. And this is something that we can experience even now. When the angels appeared to the shepherds, one of the things that it said was this, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. On earth peace. And so the first thing, the first way that we experience peace is that we can now have peace with God. We can have peace with God. Romans chapter 5 verse 1. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Our sins separate us from God, but Jesus came in order to restore our relationship with Him. By coming to this earth and taking my sin upon Him, my relationship with God has been restored. I am no longer at odds with God. I have now experienced peace with God through Jesus Christ. And this peace with God is conveyed or carried over into all the areas of my life. If I have peace with God, then there is nothing in this world that should upset that peace. And so, what are we experiencing today that upsets us? What is it that upsets you today? What throws you into a panic? What causes anxiety what, what uh, sinks you into despondence and discouragement and depression? What increases your stress level this morning? What causes confusion in your heart and your mind? What is it that throws us into turmoil today? Let us come to the Prince of Peace, who has given us peace with the Father and whose peace comes upon our hearts and our minds today. I want to leave you with this great passage of Scripture. It is found in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. This is a, this is a verse that is always before me. I would encourage you to uh, put it before you as well. Highlight it in your Bibles. Write it on an index card. Get it out in front of you where you can see it. And here is the in- encouragement and the exhortation that comes to us in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. And it starts out like this, be anxious for nothing. So if you're stressed or anxious or, or uh, discouraged or whatever it is, whatever it is, don't let it, don't let it be true for you. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, everything. And here, here we're encouraged to do these things. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So what is throwing you into confusion? What is throwing you into turmoil? What is making you anxious? Don't be anxious. Come with prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Don't forget that. Thanksgiving. Even in the midst of your trouble, be thankful. Let your requests, your requests, these are what you want. Let your requests be made known to God. Pray with thanksgiving. Make your requests known to God. And here is the result. The peace of God, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds 
through Christ Jesus. If we come with our burdens to him, with prayer and thanksgiving, his peace will descend upon us and will guard us, will keep us, will deliver us. And so this Christmas, turn to the child, Jesus, your Lord and King. He was born to bear the weight of the sins of the world upon his shoulders. But he has come as the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And as I said before, we don't need anyone but Jesus. We don't need anything but Jesus. This Christmas, remember Jesus above everything else.